Martin began to relax as he walked home from church. His work was finished. He'd opened up, sorted out the chairs, done the children's talk, and then cleared away afterwards. He felt free. He'd done his duty. And now the rest of the day was his to enjoy. He could relax, enjoy himself. What a wonderful feeling. Sophie had been running the children's holiday club at church. It had been exhausting. And then the clear up afterwards, well, that had just finished her off. Just as she collapsed onto the sofa that evening, the phone rang. It was a guy from church. Could she just pop out to the shops and get some more bread for communion the next day? It would only be a 10-minute walk for her. She said yes, of course, but inside she was seething, furious with, well, with Jesus. She'd been serving him hard all week. She'd been the only one who had stayed behind to clear up. Everyone else was relaxing at home, and now she had to go out again. Couldn't he just give her a break? David loved his new church. The harvest supper had been great. He was starting to make new friends. Afterwards, the pastor helped him, asked him to help put some, put some of the stage blocks back up in the storage loft. Uh, he joined a group of other guys. Uh, it was great fun, a good laugh. And afterwards, the pastor thanked him for being an example of joyful service. David went home praising God. He loved serving Christ. He was going to enjoy being part of his new church. Mike had been a student for three years when it all suddenly clicked. The minister was preaching on God's love, and particularly God's love in dying for flawed people like him. Something that night happened in his heart, and he knew that all he wanted to do was serve Jesus. He fixed up a meeting the next day with the minister and told him that he wanted to spend the rest of his life serving his master and he wanted some help getting started i wonder this morning how do you feel about serving can you see yourself in martin sophie david or mike how do you feel about serving about using your time your energy your money all for other people all for jesus how do you feel about serving As we've already said this morning, we're in the middle of a short series looking at Matthew chapter 25. Uh, And the context is that Jesus is using parables, stories, to explain what will happen on the last day. What will happen when he returns. Uh, Last week we saw that there'll be a delay before Jesus comes back. Uh, But that delay, it, it shouldn't make us complacent. Jesus will return. And so the big message last week was we must be ready. We must be ready for that day. Uh, But if you can remember, that left us with a big question. What does readiness look like? What does it look like to be ready for Christ's return? Which brings us to our parable this morning, where Jesus answers that question by showing us that readiness means action. If last week's parable showed us that we are to be awaiting people, then this week we're going to see that we're to be a working people. Christians are people who serve the master while they wait for his return. 
And we do that, firstly, because the master will settle his accounts. That's our first point. The master will settle his accounts. Look at verse 14 with me. Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The parable begins a bit like an episode from The Apprentice. There's a rich man who distributes some of his wealth to his servants before he goes away on a journey. And the expectation, as we're going to see later on, is that the servants do something with the money they've been given. Two of the servants understand the task. And so verse 16, the man who received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But two of the servants immediately get to work. Uh, but the, servant, the third servant has a different idea. Verse 18. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Two of the servants put the money to work, and the other one buries it. Then, just like the bridegroom last week, there's a long delay before eventually the master returns in verse 19. And when he does... He settles his accounts with his servants. And so here's the first thing that we need to see from this parable. When the master returns, he will settle his accounts. In other words, he will judge. I think sometimes we can get a bit muddled when it comes to future judgment. Sometimes we can think that if we've trusted in Jesus, well, then judgment isn't something that we will experience. It's something for everybody else, but, but not for us. But that's not what the Bible teaches. You see, the Bible teaches that all people will stand before Christ at judgment. The Apostle Paul, writing to Christians, says this in 2 Corinthians 5. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or or bad. I remember last week we saw that the only way we can be ready for that day, that day of judgment, is by putting our trust in Jesus. The Bible is crystal clear. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus Christ. But it's also clear that once we've done that, once we've trusted in Jesus, that doesn't mean that the rest of our lives are just irrelevant. Uh, just treading water. Salvation is not like a golden ticket to Willy Wonka's chocolate factory, something that we stick in our back pocket and don't really think about until the day that we need it. No, Jesus the Master will return and he will hold his people to account. There'll be a recognition of what we have done with our lives, both good and bad. The Master will settle his accounts. And when he does, there will be both reward and retribution. That's the second thing that we see in the parable. There will be reward and retribution. 
We saw last week, didn't we, that there will be a division on that day when Jesus returns, a division between the wise and the foolish virgins. And again, we see the same in this parable. First, there are those two servants who put their money to work and they make a profit. And so when, they, when the master returns, they give everything that they've earned back to him. In return, they, they receive the master's praise. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Now, again, just as last week, we can be tempted sometimes to to push the details of the parable too far, to say things like, if you're faithful here on earth, well, then you'll be given more responsibility in heaven. But I'm not sure that's what's going on here. No, the point is simply that reward will come to those who faithfully serve the master. The reward of receiving his praise And also of sharing in his joy. Look at the end of verse 21. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, that isn't a normal thing for a boss to say to an employee, is it? Imagine someone doing well at work, you doing well at work, and and your master calling you, your boss calling you into his office and saying, Come and share in my happiness. Literally, enter into my joy. It'd be a bit weird. It's not the normal thing for a boss to say to an employee. And that's because just for a moment, we step outside of the parable here. We step outside and see the full implication of what Jesus is teaching. That if we serve Christ faithfully, we have the eternal reward of sharing in his joy in the age to come. If we serve Christ faithfully, we have the eternal reward of sharing in his joy in the age to come. And so I wonder, is that how you think of heaven? If you were in life groups this week, you might have reached the end of God's big picture. If you haven't, spoiler alert, you're looking at Revelation 21. That glorious description of the new creation, no more suffering or death, no more crying or pain. It's a wonderful picture of the world to come. But right at the center of that picture is the Lord Jesus Christ. Right at the center of paradise is our master. He is the one it is all about. He is the one that we will finally see face to face. And so ask yourself this morning, is that what excites you about heaven Is that what you're waiting in eager expectation for? To finally see the Lord Jesus. To hear his voice. To be welcomed by him into his eternal joy. Well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. But that won't be what everybody hears. Some will receive the master's reward, but all others will receive his retribution. Look at verse 24. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. 
The third servant stands before the master, clearly knowing that he's not done what was expected. Why? Because he goes straight in on the offensive, doesn't he? I knew you were a hard man, harvesting where you haven't sown, taking what's not, what isn't yours. But the master sees right through him, verse 26. You wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed? Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. (laughs) Don't blame me, says the master. If you really believed I was such a hard man, you would have done something with the money I gave you. No, you, you couldn't even be bothered to walk down the road to the bank. You thought so little of me, so little of what I'd given you. You stuck it in a hole in the ground and didn't give it another thought. The master sees the servant's wicked and lazy heart. And so rather than receiving his praise, the servant is punished. Verse 30. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see, not all will receive the master's reward. There will be some who face his retribution, his punishment, as they are thrown out of his presence. And again, just like in verse 21, we step outside the parable for a moment, don't we? If sharing the master's joy in verse 21 was a wonderful picture of heaven, of the new creation to come, well then here in verse 30 we get a glimpse of hell. Cast out from God's presence. No joy, only darkness. No happiness, only weeping and gnashing of teeth. There'll be a division On the last day, the master will settle his accounts. For some, there'll be reward. But for others, there will be retribution. So Jesus says, be ready. Be ready. Keep serving the master until he comes. That's the third thing we see. Keep serving the master. There are different ways to wait, aren't there? Josh showed us that just now. There's a way to wait and be ready for cutting down a tree. There are different ways to wait. And and the point of this parable is that that waiting for Jesus is not like waiting for a bus. We're not meant to just stand around twiddling our thumbs, just counting down the days until Jesus comes back. No, just think about the start of the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus has ascended into heaven and the disciples, they're left alone. Then an angel appears to them. And what does he say? Stop standing around. Stop staring at the sky. Jesus will come back. So get on with the job that he's given you. Get on with the job of spreading the gospel to the ends of the earth. The Christian life is not a life of standing around. Jesus will return. But in the meantime, Christians, well, we live in a period of active waiting. We're not called to sit around. We are called to serve the master. 
We've got to be clear at this point, considering all that we've just said, that this parable is not saying that we need to work really hard in order to earn our place in heaven. No, Jesus, Jesus isn't Alan Sugar. The point isn't that you'll be fired if you don't produce enough profit on the last day. That's not what it's saying. We've already seen that in order to be ready for Jesus' return, what we need to do is trust in him, is have faith in him. And so if you've done that, if you have already turned from your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, well then your future is secure. You have nothing to fear. We are saved by faith alone. But faith that saves is never alone. True faith is seen in action. James chapter 2 verse 14 says this. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. True faith is seen in action, which means those who claim to have faith but do nothing with it show themselves not to be true disciples. And those people... On the last day, they will hear the words of Jesus from last week. I don't know you. And as we see in verse 29, even what they thought they had will be taken away from them as they are thrown out of God's presence. Whereas those who have true faith in Christ, well, well, they will demonstrate that faith in loving service of their master. Their work is the visible evidence of their faith. And so, verse 29, those who truly have Christ now will be given abundantly more when they enter the eternal joy of their master in heaven. And so Jesus' question, well, it's still the same, isn't it? Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you using everything that you have, everything that Jesus has given you for his service? Next week, we're going to think a bit more specifically about one way that we are to serve Christ. That is by serving his people. But for now, just think for a moment about your time, or your money, or your energy, or your home. How do you tend to view those things? Do you see them as things that that you've earned? Things that you're entitled to, things to be protected, guarded for yourself? Or do you see them as things that Jesus has given, has entrusted to you to be used in his service? Perhaps you could chat with someone after the service or or over lunch about how you could use your home to serve Christ this week. If you're a regular here, perhaps you could come and chat to me or one of the ministry team or elders about how you can serve Jesus in the life of this church. Are you using everything that you have, everything Christ has given you, to serve him?
And as you ask yourself that question, there are, there are two things we need to remember. First, we need to see that we're only called to use what we've been given. Did you notice that? The servant with five bags of gold and the servant with two bags, they're given exactly the same reward, aren't they? We're only called to serve God with what he's given us, not what he's given somebody else. And so you don't need to go around comparing yourself to everybody else in this. We serve with what we've been given. And secondly, we need to remember that we serve Jesus not out of duty, but out of love. We serve him because he has first served us. I read a story this week of two men who were on a train. One of them fell on the floor and he began to have a fit. His friend knelt down beside him, loosened his tie and put a handkerchief in his mouth to stop him biting his tongue. When the fit had passed, the friend, he turned to the other people in the carriage and said, I'm terribly sorry, but this happens most days. You see, we were in the Korean War together. I was injured and left in no man's land. I would have died if it had not been for my friend here. He came to get me. He put me over his shoulder and dragged me towards our lines. Just as we thought we were at safety, a shell went off. It took a long time for me to get better. But eventually I was allowed home to America. I got a good job, met a girl, bought a house. Life was going well. But all along I couldn't stop wondering what had happened to my English friend, the man who had risked his life to save mine. Then I heard he was like this, and that he would never get better. He would always need constant care and attention. As soon as I discovered that, I sold my house in America, I gave up my job, broke off my engagement, and I moved here. You see, he did all that for me. There is nothing I would not do for him. On the cross, Jesus gave up everything for us. He bled and died for people who hated him. People who had rejected him and wanted nothing to do with him. He died for people like you and me. And if we truly understand that, well, well then our response will be like the American man in the story. He did all that for me. There is nothing I would not do for him. You see, our service of Christ is not some cold, hard business relationship focused on profit margins. No, no, it's a relationship of joy. You can see that in the parable, can't you? The first two servants, full of excitement, full of joy, present their master with the money they've earned. And the master says to them, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in my joy. There is a relationship of intimacy, of joy between the master and his servant in the parable. And the same is true for us and Jesus. We serve Jesus because we love Jesus. And so as we close, let me ask you again. Are you ready Are you serving the master while we wait for his return? Not because you must, but because you love him 
and you long to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. Let's pray that God would help us be ready for that day. Let's pray. He did that for me. There is nothing I would not do for him. Heavenly Father, as we think about how the Lord Jesus has served us, how he gave his life for us, we pray that we would long for his return, long to see him face to face. And Father, in the meantime, please help us to be those who faithfully serve the Master with all that he has given us, not out of duty, but out of love for him and a desire to see him glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.